0: and i really look forward to seeing you there that web address one last time slash ama support for this podcast comes from eightfold.ai eightfold.ai delivers the talent intelligence platform The most effective way for companies to retain top performers, upskill and reskill the workforce, recruit top talent efficiently, and reach diversity goals. Eightfold.ai's deep learning artificial intelligence platform empowers enterprises to turn talent management into a competitive advantage.
1: There's been more of scientific discovery more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history.
0: Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 400 of the Recruiting Future Podcast. Can I just say that again? Episode 400. When I launched this podcast almost seven years ago, I had an expectation that I was in it for the long haul, but I couldn't have imagined that 400 episodes later, the show would be at two episodes a week and still growing. Thank you for listening and for all of your support. It means so much to me. In keeping with this show's theme, I want to look forwards and not backwards. 2021 has been a year for talent acquisition like no other. And I believe we're seeing trends emerge that will shape recruiting for at least the next decade. I've had some fantastic guests on the show this year, and I wanted to showcase highlights from five interviews that shine a light on some of the innovations and trends that have made 2021 so important and will in turn have a significant impact on 2022. One of the big themes for me this year has been the practical application of AI in talent acquisition and its impact. We've been talking about AI for years, but only now are we starting to see its true potential. My first interview highlight is from a conversation with Jeff Uden, head of talent at UK retailer Iceland, in episode 333. The challenges of the pandemic saw Iceland having to revolutionise their recruiting process using AI very, very quickly. In this clip, Jeff talks about what they did the impressive results and just how you get buy-in for rapid change in a large organisation.
2: This system that we've now using through predictive hire, and you know the main driver behind that was the the introduction of artificial intelligence in terms of uh, that assisting us in making some of that those initial sifting decisions that we had, um, but it was also about. Uh, making sure that wherever possible, the the actual process itself felt as human as it possibly could. You know, that's a key thing around the Iceland culture uh, is around, you know, we talk within Iceland about feels like family uh, and we certainly want our people to feel like that within our stores and we want... we need them to understand that our customers are part of that bigger family as well. So we wanted that human touch in there. We wanted people to feel as though they were really respected and they were valued. Um, But also to a point of the store managers had as much influence as they could uh, in terms of making the decisions for the right individuals. We are seeing some fantastic results. Uh, The sifting has significantly reduced. On average, in a normal calendar year, we were receiving circa 500,000 applications a year. And uh, this year, by the end of this financial year in March, we probably will have received about 1.6 million applications this time around. Now, based on the average of the 5, 500,000 applications in a year, our store managers are spending circa 35,000 hours a year actually conducting and doing recruitment, um, whether that's sifting or Uh, actually completing applications or alternatively updating our uh, HR information systems. Now, what we've done is through this is we've significantly reduced that down to around about seven and a half thousand hours a year instead. So, it's a a massive uh, return of time to our managers. And they are now using that to uh, spend more time with their people in the stores and um, doing the activities that managers should be doing in stores as opposed to just that recruitment part of it. The other benefits that we're getting out of it is the candidate experience. Now, our candidates are um, actually at scoring as a, a, an 89 uh out of 10 in terms of the candidate experience that they're actually going through and also what it's doing is as well is it is significantly impacting their perception about Iceland and uh withers you know 64% of all of the applicants said that they were more likely to shop in Iceland now uh, over 70% of them were said that they were more likely to recommend Iceland as an employer. And that's the sort of benefits that we were never able to understand before. Um, but we know we'll be impacting the business further down the line. As any talent acquisition leader will know, a critical part of installing any sort of change in that is about involving that business right from the very outset, you know, understanding what the size of the issue actually is, understanding what the size of the prize is, but then involving as many people across the business as you possibly can in terms of the project, uh, the testing of the project, taking on board all of the relevant feedback And making sure that they were as comfortable about the experience as what uh, potentially the candidates were actually going to be as well. So, you know, we tested our product uh, with senior leaders throughout the business. We tested our products with hiring managers just so that they could see what potentially it could be giving them. Uh, and how uh, they could actually use that. But also, we took it out to our frontline colleagues out in our stores and said to them, if you were to experience this right at the very beginning, how would you feel about it? Uh, And there was a a unanimous view that came back and said uh, that they would have thoroughly enjoyed actually going through that process uh, and would have felt that it it was more relaxing uh, more enjoyable than perhaps that initial quite nervy first interview. Um, so that's, that's where it needs to be. It, it is about that buy-in right before you, we even start the change process and just making sure that people uh, understand the simplicity of uh, the new process that, that's actually coming through and making it incredibly easy to understand
0: the potential of AI to revolutionise the recruiting process itself is undoubtedly the most talked about impact of the technology. But what about other areas of talent acquisition? Where else might we see radical change? In this clip from episode 331, Alin Bailey, who was at the time Global Recruitment Marketing Leader at Intel, talks about the impact of AI and automation on the future of recruitment marketing.
1: Here's, here's what I think is, has happened um, to us. I think that, you know, really five years or so ago, we started to understand this concept of recruitment marketing as a discipline inside our organizations. And it was really focused on kind of two key lenses. The first was, how do you make your brand appealing and engaging and enticing? And the second was, how do you then gather individuals who are interested in your brand and start converting them? Um, into people who want to apply and to have jobs, right? And we did that through a variety of different marketing capabilities and tactics. And we and we built a we built a um a practice around that. Um, but there was something happening simultaneously. While we were building up this idea of what recruitment marketing was, um, the talent acquisition ecosystem was changing underneath our feet. Um, what was the way in which we um, attracted, managed, and even selected and matched people to jobs and opportunities has dramatically changed with the um, inclusion of new technologies, right? I remember sitting in um, HR Tech uh, was four years ago, maybe. And people were like, yeah, everybody's talking about AI. Is this thing ever going to take off? Is it real? Is it important? Um, and then the next year, we went back and um, all sorts of, um, you know, companies were starting to shoot up who were going to produce some sort of great matching technology or AI based Technology, And then the next year, there was this conversation around, is this about conversational AI, or is this about machine learning, or is this about um, using algorithms to to do predictive modeling? And so while all this stuff was happening, recruitment marketing kept focusing on how can I attract and attract and attract more people? But what talent acquisition and what sources and recruiters were starting to function and, and think about was, can I make sense of all these people that I have? using this technology and match them most effectively to these opportunities. And the biggest gap was and has been and continues to be, not only do we know who these people are, but do we have enough of the right data about them to be able to let these algorithms and machines and ecosystems we put in place from a technology perspective actually do the work of matching and connecting people to opportunities. What that means is recruitment marketing has to transform. It has to shift no longer to be just about how do I attract people and engage them and get them interested. My job as a recruitment marketer now is to build a relationship with these people to get them to trust me enough so that they will tell me more and more about themselves. And so that data can be used in the talent acquisition process. So I think um, the biggest opportunity on the horizon is the ability to start to automate um, our engagement decisions. Um, and here's what I mean by that. I'm seeing some really cool technology out there that allows people to build complex workflows um, that can really start to trigger um, very specific engagement paths and and they can automate those, right? But it always requires today a a person to have knowledge about. Um, kind of what's kind of the marketing know-how that's going to allow you to know which direction to send somebody based on their behaviors and actions. I think as we start to apply um, some of the AI capabilities and predictive modeling into the recruitment marketing space, just into content um, uh, leveraging and, and the impact of content execution, and it starts to be able to um, web together what the what the kind of what the potential predictive outcomes are for leveraging different types of content or different types of experiences what that will allow companies to do is to start to build um, basically automated algorithms that will create marketing strategies or marketing executions for us based on our strategies to me that's going to be a big win and I'll tell you why I think that, um, recruitment marketing um, and marketing in general is a very um, complex um, uh, complex capability. And um, most companies do not have the ability to have enough resources to execute it at the level that they need to. Um, and so the more we can do to start to move the... Um, to move the predictive modeling, the predictive capabilities um, to actually automate actions and tasks um, up the funnel, I guess, kind of further into the marketing space, the more it's going to allow us to leverage our resources more effectively on the strategy side. Um, so I think that's, what's going to happen. I think w- just like we saw a few years ago, more and more people starting to apply um, AI to matching um people to opportunities and now that's starting to become more and more mainstream i think we're going to start seeing technology starting to match solutions or engagements interactions to results and that will start to become something that's programmatic
0: a quick message from our sponsor winolo hi everyone i want to tell you about winolo that's w-o-n-o-l-o winolo stands for work now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work, ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process, and use Winolo to find quality workers fast, and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over a 100 markets including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com pod. That's wwww dot slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. If AI was one of the big themes of the year, then diversity, equity, and inclusion is certainly the other one. The last 18 months have seen an enormous focus on discussions about DEI. But is meaningful change actually happening? Back in the summer, I collaborated with the team at TA Tech on a live podcast conference, which included a panel debate on DEI. Here is global communication and branding leader, Charu Malhotra, giving her perspective on inclusion, leadership and the pace of change.
3: But have things changed, which is your question? I don't believe they have. Um, I think there's been a lot of noise around it, but I would mirror it to the noise around candidate experience that's probably being talked about for the last decade. But are we actually seeing any real significant change in diversity, inclusion from a leadership perspective and a pipeline perspective? I think the same conversations keep coming up. There's been a lot of um, focus on attraction, as I said. So uh, my uh, heart always sits with branding because that's where I spent most of my career. And I think a lot of work's already been done on uh, by the organisations that get this around the words and the language we use in our comms. So be that on our job adverts, uh, be that on how we think about web copy and in the way that we showcase our employees. So, you know, visual imagery and and, and visual language, those type of things, I think we've taken more than baby steps on, which is only but a a positive. Um, I think what's being done really well, so people like EY, uh, IBM, Unilever, I would call out, they're, they've been piloting um, small initiatives that have helped, you know, things around neurodiversity. Uh, thinking about social mobility, I think Deloitte have done some really fantastic work around social mobility. So I think the recruitment lens of not just thinking about this as a, um, a an attraction piece has been a really positive point. And I think for me, when I um, think about what does good recruitment look like, it's um, it's having organizations being brave enough to pilot something in the DNI space to help DNI recruitment. But then actually go well. This isn't working, and stop it. I think when it goes, when people invest too much, whether that's dollars or uh, you know sponsorship, it becomes really hard to backtrack. So you know, versus safe space in recruitment, I think it's brave space. Let's pilot something. Is it working? Is it getting tangible results? Because it's around in you know, measuring. You know, what's the impact of this? Is it working? And if it's not, let's try something else. And I think some of the organisations I've mentioned have done a really good job doing some small-scale pilots, which then they can now make much more scalable. I firmly believe, and, I, and I've been saying this for, you know, seven or eight years now, that you start with the inclusion, you start don't start with the diversity. So I think until you have an, an, an organization that has a culture where people can feel that if they want to be able to bring their full selves to work, they can. And I say that slightly differently to how I said it a year ago, because I've been doing a lot more reading around this in terms of the diktat around bringing your whole self to work has got its own kind of implications to it. So I think building an inclusive culture um, where people are welcomed, where people can thrive, but also that an organisation has forensically um, looked at processes and protocols that are keeping uh, unrepresentative groups back is the first step before you start thinking about um, diversity recruitment. And I think what's really interesting, certainly in the last five years, the first step organizations seem to take when they think about, oh, gosh, I need to look at ADNI. Because my competitors are, or it's become important, is let me go and hire a diversity recruiter. Let me go and hire a diversity consultant. Let me go and hire a head of DNI that often sits to uh, uh, reports to HR. So I think the inclusive culture and the equity, i.e., looking at processes and controls, uh, looking at the culture, dismantling where there are biases. Is the first step, and then uh, you look at diversity recruitment. The role of leadership is is really fundamental. We can't, you can't do this in an organization without it being role model from the top for it not being something that is not just seen as important, but also accountable and and measured, Uh, not vanity metrics, because that's really easy just to look at the front end and the top of the funnel, but actually looking at everything internally, where are people leaving? Why are they leaving? How are they leaving? Um, So I think it's, it's key. It requires leaders to be accountable. It requires leaders to role model their behaviors and take themselves sometimes into an uncomfortable space, um, I've just done a, a project at a seven eight months at a tech organisation where the entire board were white male Americans, bar one leader that was HR. And actually, in my first week, because I was brought in to look at branding and inclusion, I pointed this out and said, "You know, what are we doing about this?" And I was told, him, "That's for that's for later on in the day." So it sort of it requires people to feel um, that their leaders aren't just saying this; it's not just um, a initiative and dni is an initiative but as i said accountable make movable changes uh, role model behavior and then something that um alan grant shared yesterday in a podcast i was listening to which i thought was really interesting um dni and the values a business has isn't just around you know what are painted on the walls or on a wonderful manifest or on the website it's the, the the behaviors that are tolerated um so i think it's you know role modeling is really important if we're saying bringing in Um, women of colour. If we're saying bringing in um, uh, poorly represented minorities in the organisation, it matters in every single team and every single function. Um, And how then that is then communicated externally and internally is something that leadership need to take hold of and not just see it as a 2021 programme or kind of goal.
0: I don't have to tell you how challenging 2021 has been for talent acquisition professionals. The continuing pandemic and unprecedented imbalance in the demand and supply of talent have meant a tough 12 months for all of you. One of the biggest reasons I produce this podcast is because I strongly believe that we need to celebrate, recognise and raise up the profession of talent acquisition. Here's Amy Schultz, Global Head of Talent Acquisition at Canva, talking on episode 395 about the evolution in the role of talent acquisition professionals and why we need to celebrate this and make it a first-choice career rather than something that people just fall into.
4: You know, I think it is about you know, to your point, raising the profile and then also celebrating. <laughs> um, you know I think celebrating um the the role of of recruiters. and i would love kind of seeing now you know more and more industry awards for um, recruiters and and recruitment teams uh, because I, I think it's so important to to celebrate and recognize um, you know the you know the work, the craft and and the impact um, that, um, that recruiters have. So, you know, I would encourage, you know, more, more industry awards and more companies to, you know, sponsor, you know, awards or, or even have kind of their own internal recognition, um, for recruiters like that, that celebration point, um, can't be underestimated. And then coming back to your, you know, to your point around raising the profile, you know, I certainly this year, uh, I have spent more time uh, partnering with our marketing and communications teams than I ever have before, Matt, uh, around, you know, talent brand. And I think, you know, companies have really now recognised or a lot of companies have recognised the value of um, linking consumer brand and talent brand and, and really, you know, they, they do go, go hand in hand. And so for the opportunity for TA to start working with other teams on projects that are outside of sort of operational hiring, I think is a is a great way of demonstrating our value and and perhaps you know shifting the profile or the perception of of hiring as just you know it's kind of operational recruiting. But actually, you know, there's so much more you know strategy and 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 creativeness um, that we apply day to day in in what we in what we do. Likewise. As, you know, folks are returning um, to the office and and companies are starting to think about, um, you know, hybrid work and, and flexible work. I'm also, you know, involved in in more conversations than I ever before around, you know, where should we hire, you know, what what are the the right locations, you know, what are the skills that we're going to need, you know, in in the future and so all of a sudden, you know, you're in these conversations with perhaps L&D, perhaps real estate, perhaps employee experience, you know, perhaps even, you know, business development or corp dev if, if companies are looking at M&A and as and I'm finding more and more that TA are at the seat in in a lot of different tables and we have really valuable insight to contribute, um, I think, to, to business strategy as it relates to talent. Um, and I think, you know, right now talent is, has never been more important to any company's ability to, to grow, be successful and, and scale. And I think that's also starting to um, to, to up level our, our profession and and the value of it. And I think that's just, you know, great for our, um, for our industry as
0: a whole. Finally, one of the things I always look to bring you on the podcast is an external perspective from thought leaders in other disciplines, as well as giving us all food for thought. I also do this because I want to raise the profile of talent acquisition across the wider business community. A few weeks ago, I was delighted when Rory Sutherland agreed to come on the show. Rory is one of the world's leading thinkers on behavioural science and was really interested in talking about how it can be applied in talent acquisition. I think his insights on thinking differently and the nature of decision making will be beneficial to bear in mind as we go into 2022. If you're interested in learning more about his work, I would thoroughly recommend his book, Alchemy the surprising power of
5: ideas that don't make sense. I'm the vice chairman of Ogilvy, uh, the advertising group in the UK, but I'm also within Ogilvy, the co-founder of a behavioural science practice, which essentially studies what I occasionally call the science of knowing what economists are wrong about. And in particular, I'm conscious of the fact always that in any business setting, uh, there is a what you might call a Newtonian deterministic quantifiable dimension to a problem. But there's also an emotional or perceptual dimension to the problem. And one of the curses of business is our need to appear rational in all settings to defend our decisions. Sometimes, in fact, makes business decision-making more biased and more ridiculous than consumer decision-making. Because the one advantage consumers have in making a decision is they don't necessarily have to justify it in front of a U-shaped table. And so they're free to use a mix of emotional heuristics and rational calculus in making a decision. Now, I always put it very simply. I say when you make a decision as a consumer, this is an oversimplification, but it's a useful distinction. What we're trying to do is minimize the risk of regret. And when we make a decision in a business setting, it's subtly different because what we're trying to do is to minimize the risk of blame. And as a result, we may choose a course of action, not because it's in fact better in terms of its results, but simply because it's easier to defend. So recruiting graduates would be a perfect example of this. It seems perfectly rational. Despite the fact, actually, that there isn't much evidence, in fact, there's quite a little bit of evidence that shows that degree category does not correlate very well with workplace performance. There's also evidence, I think, from the workplace that after you've been doing a job for four years, nobody cares what you got at university, because your performance in your job is a much better measure of your value than your performance doing some artificially generated tests five years previously. It might be that your degree got you the job in the first place, and it's not a completely hopeless um, proxy metric. I mean, it shows some degree of intelligence, some degree of literacy, some degree of determination and self-organization. But equally, um, the reason we do it is not necessarily because it's a good decision, but simply because it makes sense. And the reason the subtitle of my book is The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense is because business, I think, um, explores far too little. Because if you can make a decision that's easy to defend, you make it, you say, decision taken, completely rational justification for this decision, move on, nothing to see here, and you fail to experiment in more interesting areas, for example, recruiting people from a, a mixture of places and backgrounds. It's much, much easier to get fired for being irrational than it is for being unimaginative. And so there's a distinct rationality bias in all business decisions, which, which causes it to fail to explore paths of action which may be slightly counterintuitive or may have a second-order intelligence, not a first. I'll give you a great example from Labour Economics, and I'm talking about this quite a lot, which is if you ask people, would you like a company car or would you prefer the cash alternative, nearly everybody will say the cash alternative because that sounds like a rational answer, Okay after all i can go and lease a car myself with the money i would argue that there were there was huge value to employers in providing company cars because it showed long-term commitment to the employee but it also gave the employee something they may value more than money which is a guilt-free luxury so put very bluntly okay a company car allows you to drive a much better car than your spouse would allow you to buy with your own money what I say is that we, we, we've turned business into a rationality competition and an efficiency competition because those approaches are very, very safe in career, what you might call career insurance terms. I've got a good reason for doing what I did. Therefore, I will happily make that decision. But quite often the best decisions involve a degree of counterintuitive logic, emotional logic, um, or, uh, you know, metrics which to some extent don't exist because we're packed full of objective metrics about time and distance and cost. But we don't really have SI units for the human emotions. We don't have an SI unit for regret or an SI unit for anxiety and uncertainty. And my contention is a lot of fantastic discoveries are made in the consumer space, almost by accident or not necessarily fully intentioned, because they happen to tap into a psychological truth, which nobody's been looking for because it's not easy to measure. So my example of that I always favor is the Uber map. It's a piece of psychological magic because it relies on the fact that actually we're not that bothered about the duration of our wait for a taxi. Whether it's five minutes or 12 doesn't really bother us that much. What we really hate is the degree of uncertainty about its arrival. And so the map doesn't reduce arrival time appreciably if all you were measuring was how quickly a taxi turned up. You'd never notice the effect of the map psychologically however it's transformative because instead of going oh my god why isn't he here yet i bet they lied he's not coming at all maybe he's already left maybe he can't find the house you look at the map and you immediately go oh look he's stuck at those traffic lights i'll have another pint and your emotional state returns to a happy norm
0: a big thank you to Jeff, Alin, Charu, Amy and Rory. And a huge thank you to all of my guests across all 400 episodes of the show. I'm sorry I didn't have the time to feature more of you in this episode. I also wanted to thank my sponsors, without whom the podcast would not exist. A special shout out to the companies who sponsored in the last 12 months. Thanks to Chronify, Predictive Hire, Metaview, SHL, Eightfold, Aluba, Willow, Avature, E6 Appcast, Fetcher, Total Jobs and Paradox. Finally, and most importantly, thanks to you for listening, sharing and giving me feedback. I'm overwhelmed by the support that I get. I could not do this without you. And I'm very much looking forward to bringing you the next 100 episodes and many, many more after that. If you're listening to this at the time that it's published, it's not the last episode of the year. I have a great interview on the impact of AI lined up for next week and a bit of a holiday special coming up between Christmas and New Year, looking ahead to 2022. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at RecruitingFuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me.
1: This is my show.